All rise. The Evan Bray Show. The Roundtable of Justice. Every Monday morning, 10 o'clock, it's your opportunity to tune in and listen to a discussion about justice, community safety, violence, anything to do with law and order and community safety. This is the hour where we talk about it. Every Monday morning at 10 o'clock, we give you the chance to listen in and maybe learn a little bit about some of the complicated challenges that we've got going on in our communities and in our province. And today's topic is no different. In fact, today's topic is maybe one where, sadly, Saskatchewan hangs its head. Because when we compare ourselves to the rest of Canada, when it comes to domestic conflict, domestic violence, sadly, Saskatchewan leads the way. And we have for some time. Family violence continues to be on the rise in Canada year after year. And the stats are staggering. Every six days, a woman in Canada is murdered by her intimate partner. It costs $7.4 billion a year to deal with the aftermath of intimate partner violence. Women are four times more likely to be afraid of their partners compared to men when they've experienced interpersonal or interpartner intimate partner violence. The stats are staggering. And so here to talk about it with us today, a couple of not only provincial experts, but I'm happy to say a couple of friends of mine as well. So it uh, it gives me great comfort to be able to have a couple of guests in studio. Joanne Dussel, who is the executive director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan, joins me. Joanne, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Appreciate you being here. And Inspector Kelly Trithart from the Regina Police Service in charge of the Investigative Services Division. Kelly, thanks for being here as well. Thank you. In fact, Kelly, you and I saw each other Friday night, the RPS uh, Round Dance. Yes. They have an annual Round Dance at the Mamawayatatin Centre in Regina. And uh, once again, man, that's a good night. What a great event that is. Packed with people. And, uh, of course, there's a there's a pipe ceremony to start it off and a feast. And, and the feast was, like, every year, incredible food. People bring food to donate and... Uh, there was just a lot of community that came together for that event. Yeah, I think that event gets bigger every year, and mm-hmm. it's really enjoyable to go and watch everything happening. Yeah, it's it's really, really uh, a great community event, and so I was happy to be there, and it gave me a chance to connect with some of my old uh, police friends that I used to work with. Yeah. So, Kelly, let's start with how common this is. We talked about domestic conflict, and off the start, I said it's sadly a category where Saskatchewan hangs its head, shamefully, is number one in Canada in many categories how common is domestic conflict in regina for the rps to respond to well if we look at the stats last year in 2023 there were 5,851 domestic calls that were reportable and when i say reportable it's kind of redundant because anytime we attend to a call that is a domestic we will be writing a report on it so that's about 112 per week which is around 16 calls for service per day Mm -hmm. So as a result of those stats, it's obviously very important for the Regina Police Service to take domestic violence and domestic-related calls very seriously right from the time that we're called to how we respond and to how we investigate and communicate after a call. And, And we do take it seriously. So right from the time that our officers attend to college, we know that we'll be attending to many domestic related calls. And as a result, there's a lot of training in the classroom as well as scenario type based training that get them ready to respond appropriately. And when they come out on the street and become frontline officer responding to these type of calls, 
we need to be confident that they're investigating them the best way possible. We go back to 16 calls a day, even if you took a few more of that or less than 16 calls, it's still a lot, and we need to be able to respond to them appropriately. Inspector Kelly Tridhart is uh, my guest. We're talking about domestic calls, 16 a day. And the thing is with domestic calls, they're complicated calls. They are not the cops just go in, take some information, and walk away. There is a whole litany of things that have to happen and this is not even counting if there's charges if there's charges to be laid obviously that adds to it as well but there's safeguarding that has to take place joanne dussel from paths which is the provincial association of transition houses and services of saskatchewan um, you know this all too well that number of 16 a day for regina and that's just reported of course so we know that the number is much higher that that isn't reported is that surprising to you or is that what you would say is probably similar province wide yeah it does not surprise me it it saddens me yeah um and as you mentioned evan it really is the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. um there's some data from stats canada through their general social survey um where they just randomly ask people across canada about their experiences including their experience of intimate partner violence and Based on that, only one in five of individuals who had experienced intimate partner violence actually called the police themselves mm. about it. Twenty, Yeah, that's 20% of people. And sadly, we know that's a trend, especially with the social challenges that we see in our community. Uh, we talk about it with addiction all the time. The number of, of overdoses that are reported to police is an alarmingly low number, even though it's high it's alarmingly no low compared to the number that actually happen and don't get reported so what are what is the the regina police service kelly back to you doing helping people that find themselves in a domestic situation so there's there's a ton of work that's being done but but generally speaking are the police officers pull up to a domestic call for service what are some of the basic principles that they're going to be looking for at the call and following well, one thing that's really important to note from a police officer perspective is that these types of calls, they can change from a state of calmness and great communication to a very violent atmosphere with communication breakdowns. And this can really happen in an instant. So that's why it's so important for our members to be equipped with good skills and communication and proper officer placement, doing things like separating the parties once they arrive and keep them away from weapons, etc. Because things can change so quickly. But Really, the sky's the limit as far as uh, domestic calls and what we're going to see. We'll attend to people who are in different types of relationships. It may be an argument or even a disagreement on the kind of, or a struggle over control, um, broken promises related to care of other family members, financial strain, addictions, Mm -hmm. mental health, loss of control over anger. They just may even have a heated argument that's even escalated from there and now there's physical violence or they have done something with the children or a family pet or property, just trying to maintain some kind of control. So basically that offender is using physical, sexual, psychological, or emotional force and power against somebody else. You know, I think about the training that we do at the police college for police officers and police officers are literally just one sliver of frontline response when it comes to these types of things. In fact, I would argue the the biggest work to be done is on the back end of a domestic, uh, where we've talked about transition houses, Joanne, the work that you do, but 
in Regina, Family Service Regina, Family Service Saskatoon. Some of these organizations are just incredible in terms of how they, they deal with these problems. But really, it's about human connection and about just going in and listening to what the, the parties say. I will forever remember the first domestic dispute I went to. I was a young cop uh, in my early 20s, and I walked in to a house where a couple had been married longer than I'd been alive, right? There was an addiction problem on one side. There was um, some mental health and mental illness issues on the other side. And I thought, what do I know about solving this problem? But, but, but at the end of the day, I think that's where, whether it's a police officer or Joanne, if it's just a frontline community based organization worker, it's about being a human being knowing what resources you have and how you can apply it to the situation and help people the best way. Absolutely, Evan. Uh, what people really need is to be heard, to, to be believed, and to, for people to offer support. Right. And, you know, this, it's, it's sadly much more common than I think we all um, even understand. It's, it's safe to say you work in a, in a larger or even a normal-sized business. Chances are someone in your business has experienced intimate partner violence or some sort of domestic conflict. And I'm not talking about a squabble between spouses that, I mean, we, we understand that that happens. I'm talking about something that is over the line involves maybe an assault threatening. We're going to get in later in the show. We're going to talk a bit about coercive control, which is a real problem. So Kelly, you, part of the area that you oversee is the domestic violence section of the service. You also oversee the area that does homicide investigations. Yes. And we know that homicide investigations often when you drill back, there could be, they might be related to drugs. They could be related to gangs. Do we see a fair number of homicides in our community and, and ultimately in our province that are related to domestic issues? Well, certainly one is too many. And we have seen a couple or in the last couple of years where they've been directly related to domestic violence. So Yes, there is a correlation there, it's sad to say. Yeah, and Joanne, recently there was some work done in the province to understand, there was a bit of a, a review on deaths and and understanding not just how many and how big of a problem it is, but maybe giving us some insight as to what we could do to prevent further from happening. Exactly. Domestic violence death reviews are a really important way to look at what are the factors, the risk factors that were present were there opportunities for interventions by government systems? Who knew what was going on mm -hmm. and what would they have needed to put in place to prevent those deaths? Yeah, well, uh, we're going to dig into this a little bit more. We'll take a uh, first break, but it is uh, the entire hour. We're having this discussion on the roundtable of justice. My guest today, Joanne Dussel, the executive director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services for Saskatchewan, and Inspector Kelly Trithart, Investigative Services Division for the Regina Police Service. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Guest joining me today, Joanne Dussel, the Executive Director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan, and Inspector Kelly Trithart, Investigative Services Division of the Regina Police Service, because today we're talking domestic conflict, domestic violence, sadly a category where Saskatchewan finds itself on the top when we compare to the rest of Canada. And Joanne, COVID was not good when we think about domestics and the amount of challenges we have there in the province. Absolutely, Evan. What we saw during those years, particularly the early years where people were really confined to home, 
was um, an increase in people's experience of intimate partner violence. We, we see that reflected in police calls, but we really saw it in terms of calls for service, mm-hmm. um, for help to shelters and crisis lines. What we didn't see was people coming into the shelters. Perhaps people didn't know they were open or they were simply afraid to leave home. Right. They felt it was safer to remain where they were. And we, when you look at some of the factors that were happening at that time, people are being asked to stay home, which is reinforcing one of the um, the elements, actually, that, that are frequently present in intimate partner violence, which is isolation. Right. So preventing a victim from having contact with potential support systems, family, friends, workplaces. A lot of people were working from home, so they didn't have that opportunity to reach out for help or or for someone to see what was going on for them. We also saw a lot of people losing their jobs, mm-hmm. and those financial issues are, are on one hand, a risk factor, uh, actually, for domestic homicide, but they also build stress within the family. So perhaps even in cases where there had not been... Um, abuse previously, we're starting to build a pressure cooker situation. You have children at home um, witnessing this, mm-hmm. also adding to the chaos in the home, making it more difficult for people to leave. Um, conflict even around how you respond to the pandemic. Do you get vaccinated? Do you not get vaccinated? Right. We saw issues around that, people mm-hmm. calling and, you know, where those differences were happening, they were they were adding to the conflict in the home. So, um we the calls that our members were receiving, people were experiencing more extreme violence. There was an increase in substance use issues mm-hmm. and an increase in severe mental health issues mm-hmm. that that the callers were expressing. And yet they yeah. still didn't feel safe to leave their homes. Joanne Dussel, the executive director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses, Paths as we know it uh, for Saskatchewan. Um, I think you succinctly put together what we saw through COVID. And Kelly, this this was a trend that we saw in the Regina Police Service as well, because we saw a decrease in some of the more traditional crime categories, but sadly increases in others. Yes, we definitely had that same reflection as a police service in 2020 when the pandemic the onset of the pandemic, it really increased the number of calls for service for domestic violence and the times that we would have to attend for domestic calls. And really, I think it was a reflection of the social issues that really increased during COVID. We had, uh, we could see things like increase in depression, anger issues, addictions and suicides mm-hmm. and, and those types of things happening a lot more as we attended the, to these domestic calls. It was probably up around 20 per day that we attended then and sometimes higher than that. And I th- agree with Joanne with a lot of the reasons was, you know, just that loss of support that they were able to get together outside of the home and they're in together for an extended period of time. We, we saw when we attended to uh, houses and, and to calls that when people were trying to cope, they increased the amount of drugs and alcohol that they used and they just were more frustrated. They're not able to have their regular routine and they weren't able to make personal changes and felt like they just weren't making any progress and it was frustrating. Yeah. What are, what are some of Kelly? I'm just thinking about the, the challenges that police face when they're investigating a domestic violence or, or even just a domestic conflict call. Not, not always is there a charge that is laid, but often there's, there's need for intervention. What are some of the challenges that police see when they're attending those calls? You know, probably the biggest thing that has a negative effect on communication with our officers is trust. 
And that trust factor really has to do with a lot of different barriers and challenges. If, if we attend and people, they're not willing to communicate with us because they have a negative experience with us from the past or they're too angry at us to have a logical conversation to try and figure things out, it really makes it tough. So, you know, there's barriers that make it difficult for police to communicate like intergenerational trauma mental health, addictions, uh, lack of emotions, being able to control your emotions, uh, offenders being victims themselves in the past and observing interpersonal violence in their own home when they were young, perhaps, being victims themselves, and now they don't know how to properly respond to frustrations in their own intimate relationship. Right. So when you, Inspector Kelly Trithart is uh, my guest from... Regina Police Service Investigative Services Division. When you talk about trust, a big part of that is how those officers that are attending to the call can help the people that they're trying to help see them as people and not as police officers, right? We always used to talk about looking past the uniform, see as an individual. That goes down to training, and and RPS does a fair bit of training when it comes to understanding things from a trauma-informed lens, for example. Definitely right from the onset in college, we know that it's important for that communication to happen, and it has to be effective. And so during classroom sessions, they'll learn all kinds of things. And in fact, a lot of the scenario-based training that they do, they'll have actors that actually play the roles and try and act out these barriers and lack of trust so that we're able to try and work on that communication. Right. We're talking about basically domestic violence, domestic conflict today on the Roundtable of Justice. My two guests, Joanne Dussel, the Executive Director of PATHS, which is the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan, and Inspector Kelly Trithart from the Regina Police Service Investigative Services Division. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, there's a couple of very innovative things that are happening in Saskatchewan. This violence against women advocate case review process on sexual assault investigations. Claire's law, which is unique to our province. There's a couple of other provinces that have ventured and are slowly following suit, but Joanne was very instrumental in the development of Claire's law. So we'll find out what that is and how it helps people that find themselves in a domestic situation. We're going to talk about domestic violence court which is also not uniform across our province or Canada, and coercive control, which is an extremely dangerous thing that you might have even witnessed in a friend, a family member, a co-worker of yours. We're going to get Joanne to talk a little bit about that, the danger that it brings, and what we can do if we feel someone might be under that coercive control situation. All of that and more on the Roundtable of Justice when we're back on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning and thanks so much for joining us again on the Roundtable of Justice where today we're focusing on the challenge of domestic conflict, domestic violence, intimate partner violence that happens in our province because sadly Saskatchewan is known to have one of the highest rates in all of Canada and uh, two people joining me today who deal with this and work on this on a regular basis and I'm so glad to have both of them here. Joanne Dussel, who is the Executive Director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan and Inspector Kelly Trithart, Investigative Services Division of the Regina Police Service. So Joanne, we talk about you know the the amount of supports and services that are available and work on domestic-related conflicts on a regular basis. Is this a big problem when you look at rural versus urban Saskatchewan and even some of the more remote communities? Absolutely. 
Um, it's very complex when you look at all of the different factors that impact people who are experiencing violence in a rural area versus an urban area. So we, I don't want to say there aren't services in rural areas. We are getting more. Um, for example, there's a shelter in Black Lake uh, that opened a couple years ago. There's uh, several um, Indigenous-funded uh, um, shelters that are, are beginning to open around First Nations, which is all good and very much needed. But what's happening for people who live in rural area um, that are experiencing violence is they may not have access to a shelter, mm-hmm. to family violence counseling supports, or they may feel that if they go there, they won't be, um, it won't be confidential. Right. We feel that it would be. But on the other hand, we do know that in small communities, everybody knows everyone else. And unfortunately, a lot of the stigma still falls on the victim of violence rather than the person who's using violence. You also have issues around transportation. If you're living on, um, you know, a First Nation or on a, a rural property and you don't have access to a vehicle, how do you leave? How do right. you get to a center where there actually is a domestic violence shelter? Um, we also find in some rural areas you have more traditional family values where leaving is just not an option. There's a lot of pressure from family and community to stay in the relationship. Um, we have a lot more guns in rural areas so that when those tensions are high and violence is occurring, it's much easier for it to end in homicide. Um, so all of those things um, tend to come together, even thinking about the length of response, mm-hmm. RCMP. Imagine yourself living on a farm and you can feel, as victims always can, when the tension is rising, something bad is going to happen. You know there's going to be a blowout. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Do you call the police then, knowing it might be an hour, two hours before RCMP arrive at your door? What will have happened by then? Mm -hmm. Will the situation have calmed itself down? Will will there have been a blowout, uh, but it was small? Will it be too late? Will you already be severely injured or dead? Or... Nothing happens. The RCMP show up at the door. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. What happens when they Does drive down the driveway? Yeah. Then afterwards, you, the victim is in real trouble. So there's some very complex de- decisions mm-hmm. that people in rural areas need to be need to make. So in Saskatchewan, um, as well as all of Canada, individuals who live in rural areas experience higher rates of intimate partner violence and higher rates of domestic homicide. Mm-hmm. So um, according to... Um, I uh, believe this is StatsCan data, only 18% of Canadians actually do live in rural areas, yet for victims of domestic homicide, 31% of them are from rural areas. Mm-hmm. So they're overrepresented um, in that category. For sure. They're at higher risk. You know, when you're talking about kind of the stigma and and the lack of anonymity that happens in rural Saskatchewan, we've talked about this for people that are wanting to get help with mental health is if there is a clinic in the small community that you live in where you can go, everyone sees your truck parked outside of the clinic, mm-hmm. right? In Regina or Saskatoon or a bigger city, there is some anonymity with being able to go and see someone. There's options of places to go. So not everybody knows what you're doing, who you are and what you're doing parked outside a certain business. So how do you combat this then in rural Saskatchewan? What are some of the options that you and people like you work on to try and enhance safety? Well, strangely enough, there were some things that came out of the pandemic that could be helpful. Right. During the pandemic, almost everyone got a Zoom account. Right. They learned how to access services um, that weren't in person. So we do know that a lot of services are available virtually. Legal Aid does a lot of intakes over the phone or possibly has the option for virtual. 
you can do virtual counseling. Mm. Um, there's um, actually been an in, um, even a new crisis line I would like to mention called the Reconnect Line. Mm-hmm. That's a pr- I've got an interview coming up actually okay. uh, at 11 o'clock on that exact topic. I mean, that is so good. Well, I, I won't steal the thunder from that too much except to say that um, what we really need is is a way for people who are struggling, whatever the issue is, to know where they can reach out for supports. Right. And that Reconnect Line, which is you know, uh, open to anyone, but really directed towards men who are struggling, I think could be very helpful when people are having relationship uh, difficulties that they don't even know. As a shelter worker, 20 years, people would phone and say, I don't know if what I'm experiencing is violence. So um, two on one, another option, the front front of your South Health phone book has abuse helplines pages with all of the local resources. Right. And Kelly, I know the website, the Regina Police Service website, is great resource, not just for Regina and Regina area people, but ultimately it has links to a whole bunch of different community groups and supports. Yeah, it's really a good website. There's lots of access to different types of information as far as knowing how to want to deal with something that's domestic-related whether you're a victim or whether you are someone that's witnessed it or you just don't know what to do in mm-hmm. this scenario. And there's a lot of different agencies actually um, named on there too that can be contacted outside agencies like, you know, our Family Services, Regina, um, our Mobile Crisis, which is 24 hours, First Nations Hope Kids Helpline, the YWCA, Sask Health Authority, Victim Services. You know, there's a lot of different um shelters that we've talked about already here like uh, Sophia House and Wish Safe mm-hmm. House Transition House Salvation Army so yeah it's a really good website to have access to be able to find some information on how to deal with and, and what I would suggest I mean if if a person were to go to that website and not in the Regina area I mean I know the incredible people that work for these organizations that we're talking about they are there to help and they are there to help. It doesn't matter where you are. So they will be able to connect you somewhere. So if it's not the exact right number, people that work in this in this line of work are some of the most caring, dedicated people you will ever meet. So I want to switch kind of gears a little bit here, Joanne, and I want to talk about coercive control. Coercive control, to me, is that early indicator that often we might see in family and friends. It might become a conversation at work. And this can be a precursor to violence or even murder. And so I, I think we often don't talk about coercive control enough or understand it. And, and so let's have a chat about, maybe just start off by talking about what it is. Okay, I'm going to start actually by quoting a piece from the Saskatchewan Police Commission's Risk Indi- Indicator Checklist. Right. So from 2018, we know that this is important because this is something police are considering when they come to a domestic conflict situation. Uh, so course of control may include excessive jealousy, um, degradation of the victim, micro-regulation of daily life. So this is where someone is controlling who you're allowed to visit, who you can talk to on the phone, if you're able to work, where right. you're able to work, what do you eat, how much are you allowed to eat, what can you wear, can you wear makeup, mm-hmm. not wear makeup. All of those um, types of decisions are taken out of the control of the victim. Um, there can be surveillance. So that uh, can mean things like tracking apps on phones, uh, vehicles, mm-hmm. showing up unexpectedly when you're out, you know, visiting with friends or family. Uh, it can include um, forced sexual activity, things that the victim isn't comfortable with. 
shaming the person, humiliating them in front of others, um, forcing adherence to a belief system that condones intimate partner violence and intimidation and pets. And sometimes those threats um, may be subtle enough that they're not something that falls under the legal definition of a threat to harm to kill. It might be something like uh, a threat, a, a very subtle threat about never seeing the children again Um you know, I will report you. I will tell everyone you're a terrible person, mm-hmm. a threat to harm a pet or property where there's sentimental value. And all of these in an effort to maintain control around the victim so they don't feel able to leave the situation. Right. Yeah. It's and it's something, Kelly, I think police see just in an investigation. Um, it may be especially one where there isn't a charge being laid, but through the conversation with the people involved, you start hearing these little indicators. Definitely, we see that when we attend to these calls, and a lot of times our officers um, really need to do a good job of uh, recording and reporting this in a little bit more detailed way. A lot of times, I think, when it's not physical, we may just state that it's an argument, but we don't actually detail the actual words and the circumstances of the actions Mm -hmm. of how they're threatening or controlling or what they're actually saying to the victim. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, to me, this is one area. This idea of coercive control is an area where we need to pay more attention. And I think we all have a responsibility. And I've said it before, whether it's family, coworkers, your sister in law, your friend at work could say something to you that just doesn't sit right. What would you suggest, Joanne? Is, is it a tough conversation with the person to start, maybe? It can be a tough conversation, yeah. but it doesn't have to be. Right. So there's a really great um, tool that was developed um, uh, at Western University, Ontario, and we do it. We use this with a lot of the training that we do. And the thing to remember is see it, name it, check it. So recognize when you hear something that doesn't sound right or you overhear a conversation, something that's just making you wonder, could violence and abuse be taking place? So what you want to do when talking to the person that you think might be at risk is just Describe to them exactly what it was that you saw or overheard or concerned about. Check it. Right. Is that, is this, am I understanding this right? right. Are, are you okay? And then offer support. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about it? Would you like me to go with you to, you know, one of the services that are available? Would you like me to get some information? Would you like to go see a counselor? And this works, the see it, name it, check it works with someone who's experiencing violence or someone who might be using it in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Very tangible things that we can use every day. Joanne Dussel, Kelly Trithart are my guests. We'll take another quick break and we'll be back to wrap up on the Roundtable of Justice right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Talking about domestic conflict, domestic violence with my guests, Joanne Dussel, Executive Director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan and Inspector Kelly Trithart, Investigative Services Division with the Regina Police Service. So, Joanne Claire's Law is something that's fairly new to the province and unique to Saskatchewan. Um, talk a little bit about that. I know you had a fairly instrumental role in the development of that in the province. As did you, Evan. Yes. Um, yes, Claire's Law was first legislated in Saskatchewan uh, during the pandemic. 2020 is when we started offering um, this ability for individuals who are mostly people who are starting a new relationship. And for some reason, they're thinking something's not right. Maybe someone has said something to them. Uh, about a previous history of the person that they're beginning to get involved with. Maybe they're recognizing red flags, again, excessive jealousy. 
anger, mood issues, the the beginnings of controlling behavior. I want to say love bombing, Mm -hmm. which is sort of the the start of drawing someone into a relationship far too quickly. Those might be the sorts of things. Also, someone who uh, is close to and concerned about someone at risk can also apply through any um, police service in the province uh, for an application under Claire's Law, which then goes to a committee if the circumstances are are right for it to be eligible, where the committee will review any known police history of violence and give um, a level of risk and connect that person with resources to help keep them safe. Yeah, and it's, Kelly, It's it's been uh, used, I'm not going to say a lot, but there have been applications made. Um, and this isn't something where, you know, you get to do background checks on everybody that you potentially are going to date. It is for circumstances where there's some legitimate concern, and there's only a bit of defined information that the person gets. Definitely, and we have seen um, an increase in use of this. People are starting to get educated on it. I think we've had four applications this year already, mm-hmm. and it's come in a couple different ways uh, with the right to ask that's triggered a, a member that wants to um, apply for a Claire's Law to notify would go through our domestic violence coordinator or come into the front desk and get um started that way right and then the other way would be through the right to know where it's triggered by actually a police service for one of our officers most likely in our high risk offenders unit or serious violent offender response unit and they'll know that someone's on conditions or they know their domestic violence background and now that they are dating or seeing someone they find that it's important for them to be educated on who they're with just one of, of many innovative things. I think the province, uh, through the provincial government, have taken some really positive steps to try and make, you know, it, it's this isn't about Band-Aids. It's about sustainable, healthy relationship solutions. Domestic Violence Court, Joanne, is another one that is, it's not universal. In fact, even in our province, it doesn't exist everywhere. But there are some benefits when it's used properly. Absolutely. So, yes, there's domestic violence courts in three provinces. And the benefit there is the judges actually are better informed about the dynamics of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. You talk about course of control. Those behaviors are rather subtle. And yet they contribute to risk and they cause serious harm. Domestic violence courts actually allow a person who's used violence in the relationship to make a choice to seek treatment uh, for their behaviors. And, and at that point will not get a criminal record. And so we feel that that's an important in diversion mm-hmm. um, to hopefully uh, get someone off the path of increasing their violence. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very good step. It's, it's We've had some great success in it for sure. Well, just like that, an hour is gone and we're at the end of our time. Just quickly from both of you, if people want to learn more and find someplace online where they can get resource information, Kelly, where would you direct them? Yes, our RPS website is great for this. And in fact, any web police service website across the province would be good to start start at. And uh, if the police feel that maybe there's another agency, they can direct them to help them make contact there. Good stuff. Joanne? Um, people could go to www.helplines.org. That is Paz's website. Okay. Um, actually, it might be abusehelplines.org. Okay. And there they will have access to all the shelters and services um, across the province um, through the Get Help Now tab. I just also want to say that abuse is never the fault of the person who's experiencing it. And if you are out there and you're a survivor, please know there are people out there who can listen and help you. Joanne Kelly. 
Thanks so much for giving me this hour. It's been great. Thank you. Joanne Dussel, who is the Executive Director of the Provincial Association of Transition Houses and Services of Saskatchewan, and Inspector Kelly Trithart, Investigative Services for the Regina Police Service. Great talk on the Roundtable of Justice around domestic conflict. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.